Hey guys, welcome back to the Moto Academy podcast, the number one podcast in motocross. If you enjoy listening and want to watch full episodes, you can enjoy them inside the Moto Academy app. Try your first month free by using code MOTOFREE at club.themotoacademy.com and experience the world's best online motocross community and training platform. Again, that's code MOTOFREE at club.themotoacademy.com. See you guys inside the app. Hey guys, welcome back. Another heavy hitting episode of the Moto Academy podcast. This, if you were wondering, this is the number one podcast in all of motocross, uh, which is quite cool, which is quite cool. The unfortunate news, I have unfortunate news for you guys. Uh, I also have some really good news too. The unfortunate news, if you guys have listened to the podcast, you know that the van has sprung a leak. And it's it sprung a leak a long time ago. So we thought it was kind of a non-issue. Thought we figured it out. Didn't figure it out. It just got worse. And now driver Jamie, shout out driver Jamie. He brought it to a fire station and they tested for mold. And it's got mold. Um, so good thing I'm sitting in it right now. But that's what I'm willing to do for you guys. I'm going to sit in the van with mold for about an hour and a half to bust out the last episodes before this thing gets driven out to California where Custom Upfits is going to strip it all the way back down and replace it, um, basically just rebuild it, which is unfortunate, but uh, they're doing the right thing, which is great. And I, I don't know what the heck would have caused a leak, but yeah, so it's going to probably take they're going to get it done fast, apparently. I think we gave them a deadline of February 8th. Today is January 20th. It gets picked up today. So that's pretty quick. But nonetheless, it's likely going to be a, a week or two without a podcast. And then uh, after that, we'll get back on the two-a-week program. The two-a-week program is is difficult to keep up with, I'll be honest. But I think that for <coughs> what we want to do as far as clips and creating a Moto Academy podcast clips Instagram channel and YouTube shorts and TikTok and Facebook account and all of that, which we're going to begin doing now. We need more total podcasts. And I think we could also mix it up because there's sometimes where I want to talk about, you know, there's, there's so many different types of podcasts. This one, uh, I'm sure this is everybody's favorite where I just get on here all by myself and ramble about who knows what. Also, I forgot my notebook. So if I w had any chance of staying on the rails, certainly have zero chance of staying on the rails today because I have no reference points. Uh, we got the Alley Cat podcasts, which are uh, a fan favorite. We've got the J-Cav style mental strength or whatever you want to call it podcasts. Personally, those are some of my favorite. We've got the pot, uh, the Supercross kind of breakdown podcast, which, to be honest, at least this year, guys, are you with me? Are you not with me? I'm not super interested yet. I don't know why. It's three races in. Maybe it's because two of the three have been mud races, but I haven't been overly interested. I, I really haven't. Um, which is nice considering I'm, I've decided to take this year off. I suppose that's better than me watching and be like, man, I really wish, really wish I was out there. I don't feel that way at all, at all. I, in fact, I'm watching, I mean, it's easy to say when you're watching people slosh around in the mud, but I've been watching it just thinking, holy cow, I am so happy that I'm not there and I have no desire to be out there at the moment. That could also be because I know that I haven't been riding, so therefore I know I'm not prepared. So it just wouldn't make sense for me to be out there. I also have become ultra aware now of the top 10 guys, you kind of get what you're going to get. They show up, they're always prepared no matter what, and they you kind of expect and can know where they're going to end up to a certain extent, kind of. Beyond that, like some of the fast privateer guys, guys that are maybe, you know, number 60 to number 99. So guys that are earning two digit numbers, fast privateers, scoring points. It's, it becomes ultra obvious who's like had a proper preseason and who hasn't because it's like, and 
this is how it was with me in the past too, where you show up one year and you're fast and then you show up the next year and you're not fast anymore. And it's not like you just got slower. It's because you just probably did less to prepare, whether you were hurt or uh, just distracted with something else. Like for me, it was, you know, the business. It, it just, that, that doesn't interest me anymore. It doesn't interest me anymore. Last night, I will say I was interested enough, I guess, to stay up till 1130 at night and watch it, which that says something. And I don't stay up to 1130 ever. I typically go to bed at eight. So there was that. Actually, I took I took Millie's first shift before I went to I went to bed. Usually I'm sleeping for what feels like three or four hours and I, I snagged her shift. And uh, this one last night just stayed awake felt like I pulled an all-nighter till her shift which was probably at, at midnight and then uh, then she slept till the morning so Millie's been killing it she changes every single day she looks completely different every single day to me and that's like really crazy but it, it just uh, uh you're it's a it's a really nice daily reminder to be ultra present and Allie will yell at me because she thinks I work too much and I don't, but it, there are certain days where I am busy quite a bit. There was a couple of days, the last three days I've been pretty busy having phone calls, team meetings and getting quite a bit done. Collectively, we're probably talking five hours out of the day. I think that she just gets a little spoiled with me being home and available a lot that five hours to her seems like a lot, but even in those days, it's, I'm trying to do everything I can to not just necessarily like being away or being unavailable and working for five hours is okay. But when you're there, you got to be there and paying attention and being present because it goes and all any parent would say this, and I don't really like this cliche, but it does time keeps on Time keeps on moving. Time keeps on moving. It uh, just doesn't stop. It keeps on going. And that's the case. That's been the case forever. That will always be the case. But when you have a baby and you're watching it change every single day right in front of your eyes, it uh, makes you realize that a little bit more. So it's good. It's good practice. What else? What is she doing that's new? Um, huge projectile vomits. I mean, talking this morning, we probably logged six to eight of them uh so yeah that's you know she was doing that before but now they're definitely they can you gotta watch out they can get you the poops have become less frequent which i've heard that's normal but less less poopies not necessarily uh less volume of poopies when the poopies happen but less uh frequency of the poopies and uh, let's see. She is well on her way to breaking the world record for being the youngest baby to walk. Really letting her do it at her own pace, though. I don't... Not trying to force the issue because technically I don't know structurally if it's bad or good for them to be walking sooner than later if there's certain steps that you're supposed to go through. Uh, that I don't know. So I'm letting her do her natural thing. But I tell you what, she can stand all on her own. all on her own. She was able to stand all on her own at before well before two months which i think is unusual and according to my research the youngest walking baby or maybe standing baby was like in between three to four months so we still got some time we still got a few weeks to work with and uh yeah i we've we've got hope i tell her every day that she's every day she, in every way she's getting better and better every day in every way she's getting stronger and stronger so she believes it she's going for it what else She's she smiles like she just laughs and smiles all the time and her laughs are really verbal now to the point where it almost like tricks you and you think she's about to start crying but she's just laughing out loud so that's hilarious uh, what else she went to the beach for the first time finally she didn't dip her toes in the sand or the uh, ocean it was a little cold out but she did get to see the beach and I think she liked it. I think she liked it. We went and stayed in uh, the Tampa Edition Hotel, which if you guys ever go to Tampa, 
check out the addition. It's quite a cool place. We went to the Lilac restaurant on the main level. They have a rooftop and then a main level restaurant. Their main level restaurant is a, uh, what is it called? A Michelin rated restaurant. And so that was Millie's first Michelin rated restaurant. She approved. She approved. We had rabbit. We had lamb. We had duck. And uh, short rib. And we, you name it, we had it. And it was, it was delicioso. The mold's getting to me already. It was very good. It was very good. It was, um, it was over five hundred dollars for two people, so definitely wasn't cheap. But uh, you know what? I think everybody should splurge and try a meal like that if you haven't before. Like being able to show up to a Michelin-rated place. We've done it. I, I don't think we've ever been to a Michelin Michelin-rated place in the U.S. The point. I don't know if it's Michelin rated or not. The point was unbelievable. That's a resort we go to in New York, a Rockefeller resort in Saranac Lake. And there you have like five course meals, seven course meals, the works. Uh, so this was along the same line. So it was like, I think it was five course, uh, paired some wine with it, had a red wine from Bordeaux, Chateau Margaux, which is actually a chateau that we went to, which is cool. So, you know, we're just bougie with it sometimes at the Moto Academy. Millie just wanted to get bougie with it and tell you what, she liked it. She liked it. I think it's well worth it. Allie, we're actually sitting there at dinner and talking about how, when the bill came out, it's just like, what's nice now is it's kind of gotten, like, I am so not money driven that I, I just, I'm almost not even conscious of it sometimes, which is, which is a slippery slope. That's not necessarily good advice, but thankfully I really have good systems in place and good people in place that are like really, really hyper money conscious. And and I'm not to say I'm not, but when when I go to dinner, I don't look at the prices of the food and I don't look at the, the bill. So when the bill comes, I give the bill to Allie so that way she can just do the the tip and then sign it and then give me my card and then we walk away. But she saw it and she showed it to me and it was like 500 and whatever dollars. And I, both of our, both we looked at each other and we're like, you know what? There's so many people that spend money on so many ridiculous things, bags and cars and toys and just really clothes and designer clothes and just nonsense. And we don't, we truly don't do any of that. If you're going to spend money on anything, I really feel justified in spending it in experiences. And for us eating, and maybe some of you guys listening to this can relate, but good food and a good experience and a good restaurant with good food, there's, it's you can't really beat that. Can't really beat that. The only way you could beat that is you tie it into a travel experience and you have good food at a good restaurant while you're traveling to somewhere epic. That's that's really all you can ask for. And what's really kind of nice about that is it's not usually that expensive to do. The expensive part, I think, for most people or the difficult part is trying to find uh, the time to be able to to make something like that happen. But uh, if you're in France or Italy or Switzerland, the food was kind of expensive and it wasn't necessarily as good where we went to eat. But France, for example, you could go to a Michelin-rated restaurant and get an amazing meal, and it'd be two hundred dollars, which is, which is nothing. And I'm talking for the best meal you'll ever have in your entire life. So you could go to France and 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 ball out, and it's it's actually not that expensive. It's not that expensive. So yeah, if you just want to uh, send in your questions for trip advisory, I can advise you on uh, an alley cat, and myself can advise you on trips and where to go and how to save money. And guess what? Inside of the Moto Academy app, we've got probably a person that lives in every single country in the world inside the Moto Academy app. So if you want to travel somewhere, post in the discussion tab. Speaking of the discussion tab, speaking of the app. What if I wasn't recording that whole time? Just press the button. Just press the button. Okay, we're still good. Recording on there, recording on there. 
I think we're still okay. The app. The app, the app, the app. Uh, guess what? I've got, we've got exciting, exciting news coming. And I can't tell you what it is. I'm sorry. But exciting news coming. And it's not that far out. And it has to do with the app. Yeah, yeah. Excited. Very excited. Very excited. What I can say is that I can't say anything. I can't say anything. I told I told my team I'm not going to tell all my secrets anymore. So I can't say anything. Uh, last night, Mud Race, Supercross. We're just jumping all over the place with topics. Last night, Supercross, Mud Race. What did I notice? Hmm. I noticed that Jet and El Hombre got in a fight after the race. And by got in a fight, I mean they just kind of grabbed their helmets. But then Anderson did kind of like slap them a little bit which i feel like you can definitely get in trouble for that so the grabbing of the helmet is kind of one thing the uh the slapping i feel like that could get a little dicey as far as getting a penalty or getting in actual trouble don't know what happened don't know what happened all i know is that i saw in the main event jet was stuck behind anderson for absolutely just forever and maybe Jet was frustrated by that. I didn't see any contact made other than I think Jet kind of made contact and made an, like definitely a, a statement of a pass. It was after the finish line when he did finally pass him. And at that point, too, it looked like Anderson was just letting him by. Like you could see Anderson eased up in the corner. I think he had just kind of Jet had broken him. He was just over it. And Jet definitely like made it a point to kind of go into Anderson right across the ruts and then turned around and did something off the next jump. I thought that when I, I, I played it back three times and I, th- I thought I was like, oh, maybe he did it by accident and then waved like, oops, sorry, wave. But I don't think that's what it was. But I don't know what else happened. So can't can't speculate. Can't speculate. The one thing you can speculate on is who would win in that fight, Jet versus Anderson, uh, actual fist fight. Um, I'm going to go with Jet. Sorry, Jason. Jason is doesn't seem like he'd be incredibly strong. He might know how to fight, though. And if you know how to fight, you don't have to be strong at all. Jet is from Australia, so that definitely gives him some fighting points. Just, you know, if you're from Australia, I, f- I feel like you, you know how to do a little something-something. And Jet's also kind of big. I mean, he's my height. He is probably 15 pounds heavier than I am. Uh, Anderson is shorter than me, I think, and definitely quite a bit lighter than me. So I'd probably put my money on Jet in that fight. But yeah, interesting. So Jet got fourth. Who's winning the points? Don't know. Oh, Plessinger. Aaron Plessinger, I've never been so nervous watching somebody in the last lap or last couple laps of a race in my entire life. My heart was beating out of my chest. I had to like cool down after watching the race. Shout out Aaron Plessinger. First of all, Aaron is probably, and there's a there's a handful of guys that stick out in my head as being like real true salt of the earth people that you you see and meet at the races. I have to honestly probably put Aaron at the top of that list. I have, he has never, I've never seen him cool guy any, oh, I'm old. Oh, I've never seen him cool guy anybody. He's, he's kind. He's, uh, he'll go out of his way to say hi to you. He is funny. He is laid back. He's just a cool person. And he has three kids, according to the broadcast. I didn't know that. thought he had one. They said father of three since Aaron, since what, how are you just popping out kids that quick? How do you have three kids already? First of all, second of all, shout out to your wife because that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let's hope you have a nanny at home helping a little bit because that's, uh, that's crazy. I can't, I can't imagine. I haven't even gone to the track yet and ridden since Millie has been born other than when the team came here and shot this week and this week of having the team here and trying to shoot 
and then get back home afterward was such a scramble and so much thought involved and I, my time was limited and poor Allie would just was like stressed because she was stuck with Millie the whole day all by herself. I can't, uh, shout out, shout out moms, shout out moms. If you got one, if you got two, if you got three, oh my God, if you have more than three, Hallie's sister has four. It's just to think about having to do that while the husband is at work or doing something and the mom is just trying to do all of that is the most, there's nothing, I mean, that's rewarding, sure. But as far as difficulty level, I don't, I don't think there's anything more difficult than that. That's, uh, that's respect, respect. So respect to Aaron Plessinger's wife. Don't know your first name. She's really nice. I've, I think I've met her. Um, but Aaron looked amazing. He is winning the points now too, apparently, which is what I wonder what the points look like behind him because they've got to be absolutely all over the place. Tomac got lapped and then just like did the race as if he was in second place behind Plessinger the whole time. Pretty bizarre. I guess it's the one good thing with the mud races is it just totally throws everything for an absolute loop. But yeah, shout out Aaron. Congratulations. Very, very, very well deserved. I mean, that one was a long time coming. Was that his first 450 Supercross win? Should have happened probably a long time ago. He looks great this year, especially. Okay, so... I'm going to do questions. Uh, we've got questions submitted into the app. If you guys are in the app, if you guys are listening to this podcast and you're not in the app, I mean, what, you, all right. If you're not, you're absolutely going to be when the thing happens that I can't talk about in approximately four to six weeks, it's just going to be unbelievable. And if you're not in it now, there will be negative amounts of excuses if you're not then but i'll give you a little we'll give you a little leeway right now because the user interface could use some updating there's some certain things that yes okay got it uh club.themotoacademy.com it is the best moto community ever you can send me messages directly where i message back uh so it's like a one-on-one -on -one setting where you can learn uh it's quite cool and you can submit your questions for the podcast i'm just going to start ripping through them and I thought I was off the rails before as far as keeping this to a specific topic, but these questions are really going to probably steer us God knows where. All right, right off the bat, shout out Brian Latimer. This is going to be a good question. Okay, AJ, I'm looking for some answers. You noticed the last, uh, last Supercross race was a mud race. Uh, we had a few mud races last year. Every training facility that I rode at or I've sent my son to, they always cancel practice when the conditions are just a little bit unfavorable. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. We're riding dirt bikes in the moment that there's mud. Everybody puts everything up. They close the facilities and so forth. I don't understand how kids can get better if they never go out in the rain and when it's unfavorable. And I'm not willing to accept that it's just hard on the bike. These kids got a lot of money. Brian, I knew it. Send in more questions, Brian, because your questions are the best. That is such a good point. And guess who's been doing really well at these mud races? Garrett Marshbanks. Guess what Garrett Marshbanks Marsha Banks. Guess what Garrett... <laughs> what a tongue twister. Guess what Garrett Marshbanks has been doing? He's been riding in the mud during the week, practicing in the mud, apparently, unless he just did it for a, a lap and filmed it. But, and I can attest, I've lived at these facilities. When it rains, it is very, very, very rare that, you, that they will have you go out there and slop around in the mud. Now, the excuse typically is that it is hard on the equipment and it will ruin everybody's equipment. It's that that is that can be valid for some people. I will say, like for me growing up, that was our excuse. We were racing at the amateur national level, pretty high up at the amateur national level. I was a top five, top three guy. I would only do minios 
and Loretta's because those were the two most important and those were the only two we could afford to get to. And if it rained, we would not go to the race. If it rained, we would not go to practice because I was limited on the bikes that I had and the parts that we had and the money that we had. So when uh, we would just try to preserve the equipment at all costs. So there is a there is definitely merit to that, and I know for sure that there's people living at these facilities that barely can afford it. There are also people that are living at these facilities that have a lot of money, and that's not an issue. But you know, there there's merit to the to the bike preserving of the equipment thing. But the facility itself should encourage and and now I don't own a facility yet, so this is easy for me to say. I think that they all should ride in the mud because you can see the guys that have the experience. It's every time the guys like a Plessinger end up at the front. It's not coincidence. It's because Plessinger rode GNCCs or Enduro stuff and he rode in unfavorable conditions. And so therefore he got good at it and he's comfortable with it. Yeah, Marshbanks and Plessinger are both tall. That's helpful for sure gives you a little extra confidence in the mud so you know if you have to put your foot down do a little paddle action you have the feet there to catch you that is helpful but those guys have experience and i do remember the years that i lived in south carolina at the at the training facility marsh banks was there with me and he was way younger than me he was on 65s or 85s when i was pro supercross already Garrett rode every single day, no matter what. And he not only rode every single day, no matter what, he would ride after everybody would get done and keep riding. And I don't remember seeing his parents there ever. Like I only remember him and his little brother. And they were just like, it felt like they were living on their own. Although maybe their parents were in the motorhome. I don't know. And Garrett would just ride so much. I'm talking twice as much as anybody else that was at that facility in any condition. So there would be days that it would be really not nice out and Garrett would be the only guy out there. So yeah, there's something to be said for that. You need to learn how to ride in every condition, sand, mud, ruts, hard pack, marbly rocks, moon dust, dry, it, everything. Because it's all a little bit different. And eventually you're going to be, whether you do supercross, motocross, Enduro, hard enduro, enduro cross. Eventually, you're going to be faced with all of those elements, all of those different dirt type, dirt conditions, and all of those different variables. So, yeah, you've got to you've you've got to ride in the mud. You know what's nice about the Stark, which I rode. Have I done a breakdown of that in the podcast? Yeah, I probably did. Had to have. The the Stark is awesome because you just spray it off. Don't have to do oil. Don't have to do filter. Don't have to worry about frying a clutch out. Honestly, the the way the motor is, is it's so, you don't even have to worry about mud getting stuck in things because it's just like, there's nothing for it to get stuck in. That is why, one of the reasons why I'm on board with that bike. One of the reasons I loved the Alta when I owned it is because it was, like a tank you would just you would just ride it beat the crap out of it spray it off lube the chain <laughs> and put it back in the garage and put the charger in and that was it that is so nice to be able to do that and if nothing else i guess it could be a good supplement to ride in the mud on those days we're like oh i don't want to beat up my other bike but yeah let's just take out the e-bike and uh granted the e-bike can be hard to get traction in especially in the mud but yeah, Brian, great great question. Uh, high level Moto Academy member, just like most of them are. Oh, we got a Christian que question. It looks like he's sitting inside of a leaf. Looking very fancy, Christian. He's got the sweater with the nice question, hair. Question, not for the podcast. Oh, not for the podcast. Why don't you get the microphones out, the mixer out, and the two cameras out? You can keep on doing podcasts. I don't see the problem. Oh. Question not for the podcast, but about the podcast. He's saying, why don't I take the cameras out and take the mixer and the mic out while the van goes? Christian, that's a, that is a valid question. And the answer is that... One, I partially kind of just don't feel like it. Two, 
I don't know how I don't want to be the one to be here by myself trying to figure out how to get these things out without stripping the bolts and messing it all up. And then also not remembering how to put them back in the right way. I want to leave them here so that when it goes to custom upfits, we're having them, you know, I, we took all the pictures of it and we're having them take them apart, unplug all the stuff, just take all the lights down and everything, and then put it right back where it belongs. So when the van comes back to me, it's just exactly as is. It's not really a good excuse, but that's my excuse. Uh, I, I would rather not do the podcast for a week or two than have to try to do all this and risk just messing it up. And then also, then what? We're we're living right now in Florida with Allie's dad for a month or two while we're kind of just doing some exploring of Florida, figuring out kind of the, the next step and the plans. And there's definitely nowhere in Allie's dad's house to podcast. Uh, so I just, there wouldn't really be a great option. I could try to do it outside, but anytime I've tried to do a podcast outside, especially in Florida, I overheat the equipment. Uh, yeah, just making up excuses left and right, but that's my reason, Christian. Uh, so hopefully we have a couple of them scheduled out to where there won't be a lapse, hopefully, but there might be a one week, a potential one week lapse. Uh, shout out Christian. He was a trip winner, flew him in from the Netherlands good old Holland to Washington, D.C., and then he spent a few days hanging out with the Moto Academy team, Premix Papa, got to do some riding, got to ride my uh, my Honda, got to ride Driver Jamie's bike, I think, got to ride Tomahawk, uh, did some go-kart racing with us. It was epic. Daniel Youngblood ran into these guys at Moto Bros the other day in Florida. What's up, Moto Academy? Hey, hey Youngblood here. Hey, AJ. Question about block passing. How do I do that? Oh, and wait a second. Hold how do I on. stop people from taking We've answered that already. That was the wrong What's Daniel the Youngblood question. We got another one Thanks, here. Thanks, guys. This looks like it's at Moto Bros. Yo, what's up, AJ? Out here at Moto Bros. Park Dakota. With you guys. What's up? Podcast question. Just seen you, Willie, over the finish line. That looks sick. How do you do that? Oh, that's a cool question. Okay, so he was there with us. Saw, what did he say? Saw me wheelie over the finish line. That was cool. How do you do that? Okay, so this was a game that my dad would have me practice. I think my dad had me practice it, unless I just made it up. But I would always practice stand-up wheelies, and then I that escalated to me practicing stand-up wheelies across any obstacle that would be at the track. And then I would make it a game to where when I go to a track, I would see if I could wheelie every single obstacle, whether it was a tabletop, a double, a triple, a whoop section, any whatever it was, wheeling multiple tabletops or jump sections in a row and seeing like how long I could keep that front end up going up and down and across things. And I got really good at it over time. So the big factor is when you do stand-up wheelies, I don't have my foot on the rear brake because I like to have my feet on the balls of the feet, dropping my heels so that I can soften and absorb just like I normally would when I ride. So you've got to be extra careful because looping out is definitely a possibility. So what I control it with is a finger on the clutch. And I assume that when you see Axel Hodges doing what he does, when he does the jump, the giant jumps landing in a wheelie, when he does like the tricks and lands in a wheelie, that's difficult the way that he's doing it. And it's high risk the way that he's doing it because it's high speed, which means that when you land, it's you have to be in the balance point already or you don't stand a chance of keeping it there. The benefit of doing it the way that I do it. Well, and I can jump things and land in a wheelie. I don't know if I could jump like 100 feet and land in a wheelie. I'm sure I could with some practice. But I do it usually just slow enough so that if you need the correction, the throttle can kind of get you up and it's easy enough. But that finger on the clutch is what really controls that front end. So I will, like wheeling the finish line at Punta Gorda, for example, I will come off in second gear instead of third. So that way I have a little more torque. Nice and slow, come up, let the back end drop. When the back end drops, I do a little bit of a clutch flick to make sure I get the front end right up to where I want it. And then I pull the clutch in again when the front end gets to where I'm pleased. 
And then basically I control the front end with a little bit of throttle and a little bit of clutch to so just keep it right where I want it. That tabletop's actually a good place to practice it because it's not steep on either end, it's short. So once you learn how to do it there, you could take it to a longer tabletop and then you could practice it on different types of obstacles. Where you have to be careful is if you get into a wheelie and then like you have to drop the front end and you start gaining more and more and more speed. And if you're now dropping the front end on like the other side of an obstacle, you gotta be careful of getting that big time kick over the bars. An example of that would be I played a game of bike with Spencer Wilton, pro enduro cross rider, and his his trick was he did like a double blip over the first log, landed in a wheelie, and then rode all the way to another log, which was a way bigger log, and then wheelied over that one. And it was horrifying looking because he got started to get so much speed to keep the front end up that when he hit the next log, it just like sent him into an endo. He was able to save it. So then it was my turn. I got up and I perfectly did it, got into a much slower, more balanced, controlled wheelie. And even then, I was too afraid to try to get loft the front end over that next log because I just thought for sure that it would endo me. Because I've been in situations where that's happened so many times, I'm just highly conscious of it. So just be careful of that. But yeah, it's all clutch control. That's also something that like those rollers at, at Punta Gorda, they're big rollers space far enough apart. I see a lot of people rip, 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 just slapping into the face of the next one because they don't, they're not using the clutch to really aim and control and modulate that throttle to loft that front end exactly to the top of the knuckle of each one. I do the same thing in supercross whoops. I use the clutch to make sure that, whoop, if I get a little more traction on this whoop, I can kill the traction for a second, make sure that front end hits exactly where I want it. Or oop, if I hit a little low on one whoop and then I need a little yeah to get me up high enough to hit the top of the next whoop, I will use a little clutch to get me there. Uh, clutch, clutch, clutch. I know I haven't talked about it a whole lot and I don't talk about it much at class because for most people I'm saying take the clutch away so we can you know rid yourself of a lot of these variables. But to be able to control a wheelie and to do some higher level stuff, it, the clutch becomes crazy important. Good question, Daniel Young, uh, Youngblood. Let's see. Let's see. Just rolling through the questions here. Florian111. Shout out, Florian. He typed a question. We're accepting those nowadays. Why not? I don't want to exclude people. Question for the podcast. How do you structure a typical day at the track? How long do you practice what? That completely depends but i'll give you a couple of examples so the times i was spending in massachusetts doing my riding before i came down south was all spent doing roughly the same thing i would show up to the track i would not do a warm-up because the warm-up tends to kind of be a bit of a waste of time and a little bit of like a you're cheating a little bit because it's not realistic to just go out and just warm up for 10 minutes uh, or 15 minutes and to give yourself that much time to learn the track. Now, you don't want to be reckless, but what I find is I just do a sight lap uh, to make sure that you know it's safe. There's nothing out there that I don't expect. And then immediately after that, I just kind of get into my pace and then do a moto right off the bat. It helps me. It helps with my arm pump. It helps with my breathing. It helps with getting up to pace quickly, all of the things that when you get to race day is usually like that shock to the nervous system because you just don't have the time, right? And race day, it's like you're just thrown to the wolves. Yeah, you might have a full lap practice, but you're out there with 40 other people. You're maybe learning a new track and under pressure of like, oh my God, I got to jump 15 things in these four laps. How am I going to do this? When you get in the habit of going to your practice track, especially when you get a chance to ride new practice tracks and just doing one sight lap and then kind of putting yourself right into your 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 moto, as long as you do it in a calculated way, it's great practice. It's great practice. I will even do that, and this is way scarier, at supercross tracks. So I'll go to a supercross practice track and give myself one sight lap to basically walk the track and like learn where the things are. And then... Lap two, I'm doubling everything, probably hitting the finish line, probably skimming the whoops. Lap three, I'm tripling the triple. I maybe did get in a triple in a rhythm. Uh, 
I'm definitely skimming the whoops a bit faster, starting to hit things at speed. Lap four, I'm trying to jump absolutely everything out there. So again, not reckless, but I've trained myself enough times to be able to do that. It, and that's a highly effective thing to do. A lot of people don't think to practice that. So that's one thing you could do. Another thing, and you have to be careful of this depending on how public your track is or what the track layout is like, is doing section work. Oh, oh. Sorry, the mold is probably slowly killing me, but that's okay. Hang on. Do, I not, do not disturb on. The, I shouldn't have do not disturb on. Practicing section work is incredibly important because it creates focus on just one section and you can, because let's face it, when you go to the track, and I, f I feel for some people when it comes to this, when you go to a track and you have to ride a two-minute lap time or more with 15 jumps and 20 turns and a whole bunch of people out there around you, half the people that I train can barely even remember where they're going. They can't remember which jump is which. They get lost. So how are you going to how are you going to improve on a section and track your improvement and really have intentional, you know, hit that section with a purpose and 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 try to just make changes and do that science experiment and improve when you don't even barely remember what the turn is. You're just like falling into a line by accident and then just sort of getting around it. That that that's not a good way to ride at all at all that's super dangerous that's not fun you can't you can't imp barely improve and if you were improving you wouldn't be able to track it doing section work it solves a lot of those problems if you're able to break the track into like one turn or two or three turns and then just loop back and keep doing that section over and over again it's not about okay how fast like how fast can i get through this freaking section it's not that it is picking a line and experimenting. Let's stand all the way through. Let's sit right at the beginning and see what happens. Let's sit halfway through and see what happens. Let's sit three quarters of the way through and see what happens. Let's sit here in the seat. Let's sit two inches back and see what happens. Let's try to use the clutch a little bit. Let's not use the clutch at all. Let's see if I could use the front brake and try to get the bike to lean more. Let's not touch the front brake at all. Let's come in and use the rear brake to really anchor that rear tire, get some wheel chatter on the entry, combine some front brake with that and see what the stopping power can do. Or, okay, maybe it's a little bit rough and bumpy. Let's try no brakes, period, and just float in, kind of how Jet would in outdoors. Let's see if that works. Uh, do I leave my foot on for this turn or do I put my inside foot out? Where do I put my inside foot out for this specific corner? Where do my eyes want to be? Where's the most effect? Because this, all of the things I'm talking about are variables and things that change little by little as you go from corner to corner. And vision is a big part of that. So if I'm going through a rut, where I look and the timing of when I look there completely changes how your bike will go through that rut. It will completely change the lean angle of the bike. It will change where that front tire ends up. It will change the corner completely. If I say, okay, you're going to get to this corner and you're going to just look over your right shoulder and look at the end of the turn versus I want you to, I'm going to put a quarter in three different spots in this rut. I want you to reference quarter number one, reference quarter number two, reference quarter number three, and then look to the jump face at the end of the corner. Those two examples are going to create completely different outcomes completely different uh do i want to hit this turn in third gear or maybe shifting down to second is going to help a little bit so i can lay off the clutch uh i don't have to rush the entry of the turn as much and it ends up working better or you know, maybe i need third instead of second because i'm just revved out when i let off in second it's kind of tossing me over the front with that engine brake when i go to get on the gas smooth i'm kind of just jerking myself off the back all of these things when you do section work and you can practice that turn 10 or 20 times in 10 minutes, you can learn really quickly, really quickly. The most effective thing I do a lot of the times is, is just that, is the section work. The, the full moto stuff is, and the full lap stuff can be 
pretty hectic, pretty hectic and, and difficult learning environment sometimes. So hopefully that makes sense. Florian111, great question. Great question. We're just ripping through these things. We got a question from Gen Z. Just kidding. I've answered this one. Tony didn't delete it. Answered that one. Tony didn't delete it. Moving on to the next one. Uh, Kanka. Kanka Bowen. Kanka Bowen. Kanka Bowen. What advice would you give to a new racer one year? I wonder if that's new rider or new racer. New. I'll just take the... I'll take it literally here. New, new racer. One year. Who had a quick, who had quick success in beginner class, but lost a ton of confidence and rides scared after a bad crash. Oh, the magic question. Confidence did one of these, and then had one good get off, and then confidence did, and does one of these. First of all, know that that is extremely common, and that's common with any age. Ugh. Guys, by the way, this podcast clip is sponsored by Element. Go to drinklmnt.com slash ajcat330. I'm talking, if you guys want an electrolyte mix that tastes amazing and that is actually healthy for you, I put this in my water 100% of the day. Yes, I do a light mix, so I don't go too crazy with it, but I never drink regular water. I travel with these elements. I put them in my water before I go to bed, put them in there before I wake up. Got a pack in there at the, right now. I mean, I feel hydrated all the time it's awesome so try it out uh what was the question this is common i get this from you know 50 cc parents of kids that hadn't really even crashed before so it was their first crash ever and they were super confident they were making a lot of progress they had the one crash and it kind of scares them sometimes it scares them away from the sport altogether then you have you know the the teenage version of that maybe where you they're making quick progress but usually in that situation sometimes it's a it's a string of crashes where they might not even get hurt badly but it's like two or three times kind of right in a row and then it makes them start second guessing a lot of stuff and then a lot of times at a class as well i just have the vet riders or just this could be anybody but somebody that was riding, riding for fun and really felt good on the bike. And then they just had one big crash on a jump, broke their leg. And ever since they, they don't have confidence with the jumping. The, the usually, usually the, the major issue with all any of those examples is that the person hasn't been able to figure out the root of the problem. So, I do this with any type of fear, anxiety, stress. If you ask yourself a couple of like introspective questions to reflect, you can pretty quickly get to the root of whatever your fear is. I teach people this in real time when we do uh, when we're doing jump work at class. Is I'll ask a couple of the I'll ask a couple of like okay, well what what are you afraid of? Okay. Um, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of landing sideways. Okay. Fair enough. If you're afraid of landing sideways, what are some things you could do to prevent that? And like, what are, what is your likelihood of landing sideways on this jump? Like what, what can you do to prevent that? Well, I, I can take the outside line before the, the jump. I can get into a nice tall gear. So I'm not revved out and I just get nice and straight and make sure that, that doesn't happen. Okay, great. So why is the getting sideways things of a fear at that point? It's just sort of like an irrational fear that's just floating in the ether. That's not necessarily even the greatest example, but you could compound that with every other excuse or fear. And then when you start asking the whys or the, you know, yeah, the whys, you can pretty quickly figure out, oh, all right, well, I'm not actually, there's nothing I'm really afraid of with this jump. So why, all right, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to do it with this game plan. And this game plan is what's going to make it so that I am not fearful. If you go to jump something and you have no game plan, then of course you're, you're fearful because it's all, there's just, there's no rhyme or reason as to what's going on. And I think some people do that, but if you approach a jump and you have thought about everything, the approach, the takeoff, the midair, when you land, what's after the landing, 
if you overshoot it, what happens? If you case it, what happens? All, these are all things that I run through in my head. So when I do jump something, I, there's no surprises. And it makes it so it's not scary. Also, is helpful to do that uh, in a bigger picture, larger scale with not just one specific jump, but just your riding as a as a whole. If you're generalizing that, like this person, for example, um, what advice would you give to a new racer one year who had quick success in the beginner class but lost a ton of confidence and rides scared after a bad crash? So now what Kanka Bowen has done has taken one bad crash and kind of created a huge blanket generalization of, okay, well, now I'm just afraid of, of what? Of all of it? Because that doesn't seem very very rational. I mean, there's, you can do everything in a calculated way. So as long as you have that mindset of, I'm not going to just wing it anymore. I'm not going to just guess what I should be doing, which Conco Bowen, you've made the first step. You're inside the Moto Academy app. You don't have to be guessing anymore. You can ask me, you can watch the content. You should be able to get a really good idea what you should be doing. And that will create complete confidence and the confidence comes from not just blind ignorance it comes from knowledge and once you create the knowledge in all of these categories and a real true game plan it doesn't it's not scary what's scary there's a few things that are scary to me sometimes with 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 dirt bike riding it's the racing when you're around a lot of people can be scary because you can't control what the other people are going to do. And sometimes some scary situations arise that have nothing to do with you. And then you're just caught up in it. That to me is scary. The start is kind of included in that because it's everybody's right there on top of you. It's very little is under your control. And you, you're sort of at the, you're just at the, everybody else is kind of controlling what's going on, which I don't, I don't like that. Um, but that's it. Everything else doesn't really scare me because I'm able to just kind of talk myself through that fear. So hopefully that makes sense. Don't know if that was too philosophical for you or I, hopefully it was, it was logical enough and it was simple enough. Uh, that's at least how I think. King Friday was just a question we got before as well. If so, Tony's going to be fired. I just finished a run. Yep, got that question already. For gosh sakes. Oh, hang on a second. We got Metamoto, which, by the way, Metamoto just won a trip to Florida in March, which I can't wait. Are you sure one pair of underwear is enough for the whole trip? If you say so. All right, thanks, Real GP. Love you, too. Bye. Hey, AJ and Moto Academy, Metamoto here. We got 41 days left until the Daytona trip. What's some advice for somebody that hasn't been on a plane since they were 10 years old? Say bye, Titus. Great question. And yes, Metamoto, uh, one pair of underwear for the whole trip should suffice. So shout out RealGP for the, for the accurate advice there. RealGP won a trip didn't he? Yeah. Salt Lake city, man, we've done so many of these now with so many Epic people, so many OGs inside of the app. And now, especially after you win a trip, like you are locked in as an OG, even Brian, who sent in one of the previous questions. We've got a lot of trip winners that are sending in questions. Maybe that's what it takes to get more questions here. We just got to fly people in. Um, Metamoto. And what was this question? Advice for somebody that hasn't been on a plane since they were 10. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give you some practical advice here. So uh, let's see. You're bringing that big gear bag. So you're going to check that big gear bag. Number one, make sure that it's not over 50 pounds. If it's over 50 pounds, when you get to the airport, you're, it's going to cost you a fortune or you're going to be sitting there trying to pull things out of that big gear bag and try to put them into another carry-on bag. Super annoying. So if you have a scale at home, weigh that bag, make sure it weighs 50 pounds or less. Uh also, bring a if 
assuming that big gear bag's for your gear, bring another carry-on size bag with all of your casual clothes, all of that good stuff in it. Um, beware that if you're not pre-check and you put your toiletries into that carry-on bag that's now going to go through security, you're probably now going to have the issue where they take out your thing and they're going through your toiletry bag and they're probably going to steal your toothpaste and some other thing that you, your shampoo that you spent too much money on. And that gets annoying too. For pre-check, I sometimes they'll do that, but very rare. It's It seems like my bag always goes through with my toiletries in it and I'm fine. But, so I have that carry-on. Another strategy here is when I get to the gate, when I'm ready to get onto the plane, I have do this weird thing where I always get on last. And honestly, I have what you would call it with most of the airlines to where I'm almost always first class on like four different airlines because I fly I've, in the past years I've flown so much I, I just get on last no matter what and if you get on last or if you get on almost last you're probably not going to have overhead space for that bag but I don't like to put it up there anyway because guess what I do that flight ends I get up I walk off the plane I leave my bag on the plane because I forget I can't remember that so I check it through People would argue this log logic. Some people get pissed off badly when they have to check through the bag, but I'm, you know, I'm in no rush. Check, lose it. I don't care. Take my bag, check it through. And by check it through, what that means is they won't bring it and put it back on the uh, jet bridge when you get off the plane. It will get checked through to baggage claim. So then you just have your big bag and your roller bag waiting for you at baggage claim. You don't have to worry about remembering that thing up in the overhead or rolling it through the airport. That's my strategy. Uh, a couple other strategies would be don't drink the water on a plane. They're usually going to give you like Dasani or some really, really crappy water that's just going to make you feel more dehydrated. What I do is I, Allie always tells me to bring my bottle. I don't do that. Too heavy. Too much to remember. I get to the airport and I try to find the best water that they have. Usually airports have Avion. Evian water, which is really good spring water. Get a big bottle of the Avion water, bring some element with you, mix your element in there. And then when you run out of the Avion water, you can fill it up in the, where the water fountain is, where it has the vertical little water bottle filler thing. Cause I think that that water is okay to drink as well. Don't know if that's true or not. Because staying hydrated on the flight is is a big one. You're coming from New York to South Florida, so it's probably going to take two less than two and a half hours on the plane, but you still could end up dehydrated. So definitely stay hydrated. Uh, I prefer, and this could be total. A lot of this could be totally backwards to how people travel, but I also travel in like the least stressful mindset ever. To where like my flight gets canceled, pff, who cares? Uh, stuck here. Ah, who? I mean, who, who cares? I'm not in a rush to get anywhere. Things happen, whatever. So when I prefer to sit uh, at a window seat, some people like the aisle. Mm, this depends. This can depend. The aisle is nice because if you have to go to the bathroom a lot, if you're that type of dude, then first of all, mix more element into your water so that way you don't have to pee all the time. But the aisle could be helpful. I like to sit at the window because even though I fly all the time, I like to look out the window. You're in a freaking tube flying through the air. That's pretty amazing. And a lot of times you're flying over really scenic, nice stuff. The last flight I was on, I was flying over the Rocky Mountains. It was beautiful. And what's crazy is that there's 150 other people in that plane that couldn't give a crap over that amazing view. I don't know. I don't take that for granted. I think it's really cool. So I like to look out the window. Uh, what else? What else? I think that's it. That couldn't be it. There's got to be other strategies and tips I could give you. Hmm. Hmm. That's all I can think of. That's all I can think of. Maybe bring a snack because if you're connecting and your connection's short, there's nothing worse than like landing, being completely starving, but not having enough time to do anything about it and then having to rush to the next plane and then you just starve yourself for longer. So I bring usually like dried mango. Uh, I bring the the beef sticks, the chomps beef sticks. Uh, I think are fairly healthy for you. Those are a good option. And usually one beef stick will kind of like satiate me for long enough to where I don't feel like I'm starving. Yeah, 
Metamoto, pumped to have you. One pair of underwear. See you in a month. See you in a month, dude. Pumped. We're just ripping through the questions. We're still going. We're still going. Should I do... We're at an hour. What should I do? All right. You know what? That's it. We're at an hour. So I'm going to take... We're going to end this podcast. I'm going to do an outfit change. I'm going to eat something because I haven't eaten yet today. Then going to do another podcast because that's how dedicated I am. Then... We're going to drive this and leave it at the airport so he can get picked up and then driven to California. So for the three people still listening, I'm talking Mike and Andrew, Premix Papa, Brian and Kane, Daniel Youngblood, Driver Jamie, Unreal. Matt Flood, Alley Cat, just kidding. She definitely doesn't listen to these. And if she listens to these, she doesn't listen this deep into it. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for being a part of Moto Academy. Thank you for listening to me just talk about nothing and rant to the camera and to the microphone all by myself. Number one podcast in motocross. We've done it. Another episode. See you next one. Toodaloo.